Hello and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tony Levitt, and I have an awesome show for you today. Last week, 24-7 Sports released the final rankings for the class of 2020, and as I spoke with Jerry on the podcast about the classes that stood out to me, you know, Kentucky and Duke at the top, and then Arkansas, Tennessee, Illinois, Texas Tech, I wondered what the mood was like among their fans. So before I could say to myself, Tani, this is too much for one episode, I scheduled six interviews for today's show, and we've got ourselves an old-fashioned whip around. In under an hour, you will hear from experts who cover all six of these schools and learn about some of the best prospects in the class of 2020. Now, after I did the first episode on Monday, I knew that I had probably bit off more than I could chew. After all, I'm the only producer on the national team. Barton and Bud, the College Football Daily, I produced those and all the rest, but I just had to do it for y'all. I know you like college basketball as much as I do, maybe even more, and recruiting and projections is all we have right now. So I put my head down and got y'all six awesome interviews. We'll start in the SEC and work our way across the country. But before we do that, I hope you'll support the show by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, especially those of you who are coming from 247sports.com. And there are a lot of you coming from 247sports.com. And if you really want to make my day, head over to Apple Podcasts and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. Those bad boys are seriously important to us. And if you put a question in your review, I will get the perfect expert to come on the show and answer it for you. That is a promise. All right, I'm done pulling back the curtain. Let's kick off the show with the number six class in the country, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Okay, leading off our three segments of SEC teams, we've got Danny West, recruiting analyst for Hog Sports, here to talk about Arkansas basketball. And Danny, in ascending order of importance here, seniors, Edrio Bailey and Jimmy Witt, they graduated. Mason Jones, he declared for the NBA draft, and he signed with an agent, so he's gone. And between the three of them, that's like over 50% of Arkansas's offensive usage from last year. Luckily, (laughs) number six class in the nation, number four in the SEC, which to me just seems unfair. What's the mood right now in terms of hog ball? Well, I think people are excited again here in in Arkansas specifically. Um, You know, this is a proud basketball program with a proud fan base and I think a lot of people remember those recruiting classes from the 90s from the early 2000s under Nolan Richardson and back in those days you know it was nothing for Arkansas to be top 10 every year and people kind of got accustomed to that and so when you show up with the number six class in the country this year it excited people but specifically you know it it came down to four in-state guys and I think that's what Arkansans really hang their hat on being proud of those four for we're sticking around home, and uh, I think they went four or five this year for the five guys that they offered. They only lost one. That was Chris Moore out of West Memphis. He went to uh, Auburn. So uh, still came away with four four-star guys. People are excited. I think that was the first time or the third time in the last three years that they signed at least four players from within the state. So anytime you have that, uh, especially coming off of a year one where they probably exceeded some expectations a little bit under Eric Musselman. I think people are really excited, uh, you know, looking forward to next year. He's brought in a couple of grad transfers, obviously, uh, that should be able to help him right away. Vance Jackson, really versatile guy, 6'9", 220, actually began his career at UConn as a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Then he came to Arkansas via New Mexico 
So this is a guy that they think can come in and play right away. He can play a lot of different spots for them. You know, I mentioned 6'9", and he's got a 36% three-point percentage for his career. So uh, there's a lot to like about him. You bring in Jalen Tate, a 6'6 guard from Northern Kentucky. You mentioned the loss of Jimmy Witt there. They did lose some length, you know, especially on the defensive end there with Jimmy Witt graduating. He was really Arkansas's go-to defensive player. So you bring in a Jalen Tate, who was the um, Horizon League Defensive Player of the Year this past year. So, you know, you fill a void there. You bring back some guys. We'll see what happens with Isaiah Joe and his draft prospects here. But a lot to like on paper, especially with that 2020 class coming in. Got it. Yeah, so last week, right after the rankings update, I had Jerry Meyer on this podcast, and I asked him, you know, Jerry, if there's one guy outside the five-star range who is just an absolute bucket getter, you know, that you love watching, who's that kid? And he went straight to Moses Moody. I mean, this guy is a serious baller. So, you know, what are you expecting for him to bring to Arkansas this year? Yeah, 6'6", 205 wing. You know, I, I keep saying this word versatility on a lot of these signees, but really on both ends of the floor is what made him so attractive to, to major college programs. He can score in a variety of ways. As Jerry mentioned there, he can score from just about anywhere, but he can also take on just about anybody on the defensive side. He can he can defend your guards, your small forward. And outside of that, we've heard Eric Musselman here talk about Modi's, uh, Moses's, uh unselfishness with the ball. He can distribute. There's a lot to like about him, obviously, at 6'6". A lot of links there as well. So they're really excited about Moses. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, you know, Coach Muss has been really active in the transfer market. He brought in Jalen Tate, brought in Vance Jackson. And, and since I was just reading on your website, he's made contact with DeAndre Williams from Evansville, Nike Sabande from Miami of Ohio, most recently Bo Hodges. Does that tell you that he doesn't think the other freshmen in this class, K.K. Robinson, six-foot shooting guard, Jalen Williams, six-nine center, and Devontae Davis, a six-four combo guard? Does he, you know, does does this activity in the transfer market tell you that uh, the coach doesn't quite have confidence that these three other guys are going to have that immediate impact that we think Moody will? It could always be the case, but uh, I've seen it as more of he's trying to cover his bases with Isaiah Joe. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see in the coming days or weeks what happens with him. But, you know, right now they're full on scholarships. They're at 13 if Isaiah comes back. So, you know, uh, depending on what he does, if he were to leave, obviously you've got a, a spot opened up there. But uh, really with the guys he's looking at, the, the remaining transfer op- options out there, they would all have to sit next year. So, you know, a guy like DeAndre Williams of Evansville, uh, I know he would have to sit. Same for Nike at uh, Miami, Ohio. So, you know, it, I think there could be something to that, you know, especially bringing in guys like Jalen and Vance. But at the same time, uh, with the current guys that he has remaining on the grad transfer or the transfer list, they would have to sit. So I'm not sure if there's a whole lot to it. Got it. Okay. So with, let's talk about Isaiah Joe now. You know, he is, he is the, maybe biggest contributor from last year's team, certainly the biggest name from last year's team who potentially is staying with the team. Right now, Gary Parrish over at CBS Sports has them 25th in the top 25 and one. But Gary Parrish is assuming that Isaiah Joe is coming back. So I'm curious what you think. What's the team ceiling with and without Isaiah Joe on campus? 
Yeah, you know, I've had that question a lot. I'm not sure there's a correct answer. I always tell people here in Arkansas, you know, they, they've been in a drought, a sweet 16 drought since 1996. You know, you think about the history of Arkansas basketball, and all of the tradition that they've had here. That really strikes me as a, you know, a crazy stat that it's been that long since they've made a sweet 16. But on paper, you know, assuming these guys coming in are what we think they are, you know, I'm not sure that's out of the the question there in terms of uh, next year, whether Isaiah goes or not. I, I still think they're going to have a really talented roster, but certainly, you know, uh, you know what type of player Isaiah is. He opens up so much for you offensively. I felt like those five games that, that they missed him this past year with an injury ultimately, you know, knocked him on the wrong side of the bubble going down the stretch there. They really, really missed Isaiah. Now, Mason Jones was obviously fantastic. Uh, from start to finish this past year, but there was a noticeable difference in the offense and, and their ability to spread teams out without Isaiah Joe on the floor. So he brings a lot, not only in terms of production and being able to space people out, but you know just the leadership uh, quality. He's been around here for a while now, and it's something, uh, as you mentioned there, they could have as many as eight, nine guys that have never played together on next year's roster. So it'd be really key if they were to get him back. Mm -hmm. I got one last question for you before you go. Like you mentioned, Arkansas basketball is a proud, there's a proud, proud tradition there. Uh, and and as you mentioned at the very top, with all this talent coming in, I, w I, I wonder if it's hard for people to keep their expectations kind of tempered. What What is, you know, a, a fair expectation for this Arkansas team so that uh, Razorbacks fans, you know, they don't, you know, get, get their hopes up too much and then get let down potentially. Sure. You know, I think it, it starts with making the tournament every single year. Uh, and I don't think that's a lot to ask from a, a program like Arkansas, where there is so much talent within the state, uh, typically on an annual basis coming out, you should be able to sustain that. Right. Um, I think that's where it starts. And then again, you know, I keep going back to that sweet 16 drought, but at some point they're going to need to break through and make a run in the dance there. But, you know, to start off, it's been shaky uh, for several years now. Yeah, they've had some good teams here and there, but uh, just that consistency. Uh, they've got to get back to that where, you know, kids look at them as a perennial power in the SEC, a really good improved conference now. It's gotten a lot tougher to, to maintain that status, but I do think it's possible here, especially with Musselman and the way he recruits not only high school guys, but as we've talked about here today, the grad transfers being what it is now, you know, he's always going to be involved uh, with a lot of those guys. So I think that's reasonable. Just make the tournament every year, be in the conversation for a better seed, and, uh, you know, at some point make a run for it. There you have it. Final Four coach, top six recruiting class. It's time to get excited about Arkansas basketball. Danny West is recruiting analyst for hogsports.com. Danny, thanks so much for coming on the show. You got it, buddy. Anytime. All right. The second team from the SEC we're talking about today is University of Tennessee. I've got Grant Ramey. He's a staff writer at Go Vols 24-7. And Grant, Tennessee's coming in with the number four class of the nation, number two in the SEC behind only Kentucky, which to me means, you know, number one among mortals. Has Tennessee ever had a class this high? I don't think so. We, we've kind of dug into some of this back in November when the class was signing. I think you have to go back to Bruce Pearl era, 
probably around 2007 range. I think they had a number six class. Uh, right now, obviously, at number four, overall number two in the SEC, like you mentioned, is pretty unprecedented in having multiple five stars in one class. Um, what, what they've done putting this class together is uh, pretty historic for the Tennessee basketball program. Uh, honestly, I was just talking to uh, Jeremy Werner uh, for our, from our Illinois site, and our listeners, you guys are going to hear that later. But he was saying that you know Illinois, Tennessee, and Kentucky are the only three schools to bring in uh, two top forty guards. You know, with Jaden Springer, six four combo guard, number fourteen overall in the twenty four seven Sports Composite, along with Keon Johnson, a six seven shooting guard, number seventeen overall. You know, what do you expect out of these young guards? Uh, it's really exciting future uh, for both of them and for Tennessee basketball. They really complement each other well, I think, on the court. Keon Johnson is one of the best two-way guards in America. His recruitment, his kind of his stock has just climbed the last probably 12, 18 months to where he's kind of projected as a lottery pick in the 2021 NBA draft. He's that athletic. He's that good of a basketball player. And Jaden Springer, he's a guy that he's probably one of the more physical guards in the country uh, in this class in terms of he can get to the basket and he can score it. He can score it at all three levels. Uh, so the way he can uh, control the ball and score in different ways, the way Keon Johnson, uh, the kind of the ceiling he has defensively and the athletic ability that he brings, um, they're really exciting players individually. And then you put them together. I think they're one of the best guard tandems, uh, one of the best freshman guard tandems in this class. Nice. And before we move on to Corey Walker, do you think both Springer and Johnson are going to be starting uh, to start the year next year? I would kind of be surprised if they didn't because of kind of what they bring to the table, how good they can be. I mean, Tennessee basketball doesn't have a big history at all with uh, projected one and done kind of talents. And I think both of these guys are projected to be first round picks in uh, the NBA draft next summer. So I think they would step in and, and start right away. If they don't, uh, they'll have some of the best players in America coming off the bench. Got it. Okay. So then Corey Walker, six, seven forward, number 69 overall in the composite, which is obviously very nice. Uh, you know, what does he bring to the table and do you expect him to be kind of a four-year guy? Uh, he'll be definitely a multi-year player guy. Um, he, he's a guy that the Tennessee staff, uh, he was the first guy that was in this 2020 class. They got on him. He's, he, he was probably committed to the program for a year, uh, more than a year before he signed. Uh, he's a guy that's, uh, they love his scoring ability. They think he's one of the better scores, uh, low post scores in America. And he's just kind of scratching the surface. He's a guy that spent the last year at Hargraven Military Academy in Virginia. He's originally from Jacksonville. So uh, they think he's just kind of a, in the infancy of his game in terms of what he can be in the ceiling, and they really like his upside. And, yeah, he'll be a multi-year player, uh, a guy that they'll, they'll lean on a lot in the post moving forward. All right, so let's let's look forward to the actual season for a second. Last year, Tennessee finished the year 68th in Ken Palm, uh, which is a pretty significant drop from most people had them in the, somewhere in the top 25. Even some people had them top 15 to start the year. Jordan Bowden's gone. Lamonte Turner's gone. Eves Ponds, maybe, maybe not. What, what's your read on him and his NBA draft? Uh, it's a little tricky to get a read right now. I think in a normal summer uh, with the normal pre-NBA draft kind of workout process, um, I think he would definitely kind of be thinking more about his professional career. Uh, but with kind of the unknown, I think you have to think that he would be returning to Tennessee until you kind of here otherwise. I, I don't know what kind of workout process he's going to be able to get done. I don't know what any, what any of these guys going through that process uh, will, be, will be able to get done with the current, you know, shutdown with the pandemic. So uh, I think if, if he gets a second round grade, if somebody tells him if he's there on the board and they'll take him in the second round, he could be gone. Uh, but I think he's retaining his collegiate eligibility for a reason. He wants to leave that door open. So uh, we'll see what kind of feedback he gets. But I think right now it could go either way. 
Last week, actually, I'm following up. Uh, I spoke with Kevin Flaherty about guys who still have eligibility who might come back. We didn't talk about Yusupov, but we did kind of raise the possibility that if the NBA decides to push off the draft so that the teams can then have guys in individual workouts, do you think that would change uh, the likelihood that Pons comes back or goes to the NBA because of his ability or inability to shine in those individual workouts? Yeah, I think so. I think the the smaller the opportunity he gets, I think that would mean the better chance Tennessee has at getting him back on campus uh, because he's going he's gonna to be a guy that has to prove something uh, in these workouts. He's going to have to show that uh, he's a draftable player. He's a, you know, he's one of the best 60 players in this draft. Uh, he's a really good collegiate player. He'd take a huge, you know, huge step forward as a junior. Uh, the SEC defensive player of the year, he tied a Tennessee record with 73 block shots in the season. He can guard one through five. He's one of the most versatile players, uh, one of the best athletes in the country. Um, but I think he still has something to prove in terms of his NBA draft stock for this NBA draft. I think if he came back to school, he could turn himself into a draft pick. But right now, he still has something to prove. All right. So, you know, actually looking to the standings for next year, Tennessee is 12th and Gary Parish's top 25 and one over at CBSSports.com. You know, what are your expectations for next year? Because, you know, when you look at Rick Barnes's best teams, a lot of them, you know, don't have five-star guys. And so I'm curious if, you know, he's going to be able to translate a success that he's had, you know, recently with guys like Admiral Schofield, Grant Williams, and, and translate that to five-star talent. Yeah, I think the, the top 15 window is a pretty good starting point, kind of a baseline for this team. Uh, you never really know what you've got until you get the team on the floor. Obviously, they have a ton of guys returning. They only lost the two guards. They have a you know one of the best signing classes in the country, as we talked about coming in. So I think they're a top 15 team sitting here today. I think if they play kind of above expectations to start, I think they could be a top 10 team pretty quickly. Um, but at the same time, with freshmen, you never know what you're going to get. And I think they could be maybe just a top 25 team. Uh, I think they'll be a top 25 team. I think they can flirt with the top 10, uh, but right around top 15 is a pretty good medium to place for them to start. Be sure to check out Grant's work at GoVols 24-7 and the GoVols 24-7 podcast. Grant, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, if you thought we weren't going to be able to uh, touch on the number one class in the country uh, before we hit the break, you thought wrong. I'm here talking Kentucky with Chris Fisher, one-man show from Cat's Paws, 24-7 Sports' Kentucky website. And Chris, you know, this year Kentucky has the number one class in the nation, number one in the SEC, obviously, which is business as usual after a down 2019 at number two. How does it feel to have things, you know, back as they should? You know, like you said, it, it in some ways it is business as usual. In other ways, it's not. It, Kentucky kind of reclaimed the throne with this 2020 class. It's their first number one class since 2015. You have your highest ranked signee in BJ Boston uh, since 2015. First top five prospects in Scal Labissiere. You have your first. Uh, pair of top 10 signees since De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo in 2016. So a lot of firsts uh, with this Kentucky class. I think Kentucky and Duke, uh, along with North Carolina, are the only three schools with six top 100 signees in this class. So really uh, a lot of talent there at the top and, and a lot of balance as well. They got a little bit of everything, which is really what they needed when you're coming off a season where 
you lose your starting five to the NBA draft and you lose eight of your top nine contributors from, from last season's SEC championship team. So last week, uh, for those of you at home listening, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, we had Jerry Meyer, 24-7 Sports National uh, Director of Recruiting, I think is his title, on when he broke down the new rankings release. And when I asked him about the guys in Kentucky's class, he pointed out Devin Askew, really nice piece at the point guard, the only point guard in the class. And with Ashton Hagen's off to the draft, do you expect him to be the main ball handler for the Cats? I would think so. I think Kentucky did themselves a favor by going out and signing Creighton grad transfer Davion Mintz to come in and kind of mentor him and and help him along in the process and maybe lessen some of that learning curve. I think you'll see Davion Mintz take some of the minutes there at, at point guard. But if you're John Calipari, you've made your living on bringing freshmen in and playing them right away, right? And so uh, I think Devin Askew will take the reins from Ashton Hagens at point guard. I think one of the biggest things that Devin Askew will bring to next year's team is his perimeter shooting. I think that could be a little bit of an issue with next season's squad, but he's a guy that shot it just about as well as anybody on the Nike EYBL circuit last travel season and really uh, dependable. I think if there's one thing that you can count on uh, with Devin Askew next season, it's, uh, it's his perimeter shooting. All right, so let's so let's move to the wings because that's obviously where the biggest star power is going to be this year for Kentucky. BJ Boston, number four overall prospect in the twenty four seven Sports Composite, a six six shooting guard. Terrence Clark, number seven in the Composite, six seven shooting guard. Not to mention Cameron Fletcher, a six six small forward who is all the way down at number fifty nine. Which, if that was the the top wing prospect for many schools, they'd be happy. You know, what are you expecting production wise out of these three wings? Yeah, I think when you talk about Kentucky's 2020 class, you have to start with B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark. I think it's probably the most dynamic backcourt that Kentucky has signed since De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk in 2016. And and Kentucky fans remember all too well how that season turned out. One of the top scoring teams in the country and, and were a Luke May buzzer beater from reaching the the final four that season, but you're talking about two of the top ranked shooting guards in the 2020 class. And both guys bring something, I guess, a little bit different. BJ Boston is, is an all around scorer. He attacks the rim, been working really hard on his uh, perimeter shot and uh, would be hard to imagine anyone having a better senior season than BJ Boston. He transferred out to Sierra Canyon in California to, uh, play a little bit better competition, play a national schedule, and uh, was one of five finalists for the the Naismith National Player of the Year. So uh, did about as well as he could do out there. And um, he's a, a long, lanky scorer that uh, will shoot a ton of free throws, I think, next season at Kentucky as a freshman, really knows how to get to the basket and uh, use his length to, to finish around the rim. Terrence Clark, I think, uh, is – loaded with with talent uh, just a, a really talented player overall with a ton of potential that I think is still kind of polishing up uh, the skill parts of of his game but uh, when you put Devin Askew and Davion Mintz at the point in between those two scorers on the wing I think it's going to make for for a really dynamic scoring punch and then you add in Cam Fletcher who 
is kind of a Swiss army knife there on the wing can do a lot of different things, both offensively and can guard multiple positions defensively as well. Uh, remains to be seen how much I think he'll contribute as a freshman, but reminds me a little bit of a guy like Charles Matthews who had some success at Kentucky before uh, transferring and, and having even more success at Michigan and, and leading them to a, to a national title game. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so let's push to the front court. Now, EJ Montgomery gone, Nick Richards, Gone. Nate Sestina, gone. Incoming Isaiah Jackson, 6'9 center, number 29 in the composite. And Lance Ware, 6'9 power forward, number 35 in the composite. And not to mention Olivier Saar, probably going to gain eligibility, center, transfer from Wake Forest. You know, what do you expect the big man rotation uh, to look like? And which of these uh, two incoming big men do you expect to have the bigger impact this year? Yeah, you mentioned Olivier Saar, and I think it's it's as of right now, it's anybody's guess as to whether he obtains a waiver from the NCAA to, to be eligible next season. And, and either way, I think Kentucky's going to need both Isaiah Jackson and Lance Ware to, to be ready to step in and, and play right away. And again, that's something that John Calipari's made his living on. I think Isaiah Jackson is probably the best overall rim protector that, that Kentucky has signed since Nick Richards in 2017 uh, one of the leading shot blockers on the Nike EYBL circuit really just has a knack for it. Some guys just have that instinct, have that natural timing to block shots. And I think that's the one translatable skill that Isaiah Jackson has that's going to get him and, and keep him on the floor next season. Uh, you talk about Lance Ware. He's a little bit more of a physical forward, really played toe to toe with number one overall prospect, uh, Isaiah Mobley at the uh, spring um, uh, spring the uh, who uh, Paul classic I'm sorry in Springfield uh, back in January really held his own against the number one overall player in the class and uh, I think impressed a lot of people opened up a, a lot of eyes I think uh, he'll see some some minutes at that power forward spot uh, as well so uh, I think both of those guys have a chance to come in and, and make an impact but I think Isaiah Jackson simply be, because of his his rim protecting ability uh, probably give him a little bit of an edge yep got it Mobley now uh, number three in the class but not too shabby nonetheless so projecting to the actual season you know it was kind of weird last year Kentucky finished the year 29th in Ken Palm and with so many incoming players both via transfer and recruitment, is it possible that this is one of those younger Coach Cal teams that doesn't really hit uh, its stride until January, February, and you know enters the tournament dangerous, but maybe only a five or four seed? Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. With so many m- new pieces and, and moving parts, and uh, really the lack of, of experience. I mean, I think Mike Krzyzewski's team with Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, all those guys, not even making the Final Four is probably the best uh, example of needing more than freshman talent in order to be successful and to advance in the NCAA tournament. As we've seen with John Calipari's best Kentucky teams, those teams have had some modicum of, of experience. And Outside of Olivier Saar and, and Davion Mintz, those this team doesn't have hardly any experience at all. Your your top returner is Keon Brooks, who averaged four and a half points, three point two rebounds per game as a freshman last season. And so it could take some time for this team to get its legs underneath them. But 
uh, as we've seen, the, the proof is in the pudding with John Calipari. By the end of the year, his team's going to figure it out. They're going to be playing their best basketball. And whether they're a, a number one seed or, a, like you said, a number four or a number five, they're, they're going to be dangerous come tournament time. So hypothetical now, before I let you go, if you could take one guy who left Kentucky from last year's roster and say, no, 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 you're staying at school for one more year uh, because you're the piece that will uh, you know, propel Kentucky to the Final Four, who would you choose and why? Uh, I would say Nick Richards, but maybe more realistically EJ Montgomery. I just don't see any way that Nick Richards would have come back for another season at Kentucky. I think, uh, you know, he went from, you know, a virtual unknown to first team all sec was neck and neck with Emmanuel quickly for sec player of the year, uh, for, for most of the season. And so he didn't have much to gain by coming back, but even a guy like EJ Montgomery, who isn't included in, in most of the major mock drafts still had, a lot to gain by coming back to Kentucky. He would have given them a veteran front court presence that was much needed prior to the the signing of, of Olivier Saar. Uh, and it could have made an impact, not just for the team, but could have made an impact for him for himself. You look at the jump that Nick Richards made from his sophomore year to his junior year and how it impacted uh, his draft stock, even being uh, an upperclassman. And so I think EJ Montgomery had a lot to gain by coming back. And I think he could have uh, provided a, a much needed uh, boost for Kentucky's front court as well. All right. Well, there you have it. Even without EJ Montgomery, Kentucky very dangerous. They currently sit 15th in Gary Parish's top 25 and one over at CBS Sports. Chris Fisher from Cast Paws, thank you so much for hopping on the show. All right. You bet. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break here as my buddy Barton Simmons, I love this, he said we got to pay the bills. So we're finishing up first half with the SEC and on the back half we'll hear from teams in the ACC, Big 12, and Big 10. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. And now for the second half of our whip around, we're going to kick off the non-SEC edition. And I couldn't start anywhere but the SEC. I've got Adam Rowe on again to talk about Duke. Adam Duke now number three class in the nation, number two in the ACC, just behind North Carolina. Uh, but before we get to the the kids in the class, I had a more general question for you. Um, Duke has a lot of turnover, especially since Coach K has really stepped up his recruiting and stepped into the elite tier. And yet, Duke doesn't really have slow starts that we often see Kentucky uh, have. And I'm curious what you think makes the difference for Duke that they don't have to like have that slow burn across the season, even as Coach K is recruiting one and dones who leave very quickly after they uh, arrive on campus. Yeah, I guess practice makes perfect, right? Um, <laughs> the Coach K and his staff have, have really dove headfirst into this one and done era of, uh, of college basketball. And they, you know, they, along with Kentucky, have the most experience of any any programs in the country doing this. Um, but I, I think I think they've just adapted their system to allow for the guys um, that are coming in to maximize their strengths. Um, in years past, I think Coach K and his staff would spend a lot more time kind of training his guys on on defense and getting them to try to become apt acclimated with the defensive system but I think they realized early on in this process that that might be better served to be uh, implemented a little bit later on in the season so it's not like they're just letting throwing the ball out there and letting them go 
but I think Coach K's system and his changing system, his adaptability really gives the guys some some freedom of movement and just allows them to play their best basketball. Okay, so when you were on the show last month, and I encourage everybody, if you haven't listened already, it was a really nice episode. April 8th, I went and checked. Go back and listen if you haven't already. But last time, we talked about big men, so I figured we'd start with the guards and wings. We got Jalen Johnson, 6'8", small forward, number 11, overall in the 24-7 sports composite. Jeremy Roach, 6'2", point guard, number 22 in the composite. And DJ Stewart, a 6'3", combo guard, number 24 in the composite. And, and looking back on the past couple rosters, I saw and, and and from watching games, this was very clear that there's always at least one, if not two big freshmen who who have come in in recent years at Duke and immediately stepped into high usage roles on the offense. And so I'm curious, who of these three guys do you think will step in along with Wendell Moore kind of in the guards and wings category uh, and, and and really have a high usage and who's kind of going to take a back seat maybe? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how Duke decides to use Jalen Johnson this year. I mean, he, he's kind of that prototypical uh, queen on the chessboard kind of player that Coach K likes to term. Just give him the ball and get out of the way. He can score from multiple multiple levels on the court. So he's he kind of is that is that stretch four that Duke's been so successful with over the over the recent memory. Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, Zion, you know those kind of guys. Um, um, so, so he, I don't know that he'll necessarily be stuck at the three, especially with Matthew Hurt back. Um, cause I think those guys are kind of interchangeable at the three and the four. Um, but in the backcourt specifically, you're going to see, uh, Jordan Goldwire, a guy who started, you know, double digit games last year, be that defensive stopper and potentially even start at point guard along with, uh, really? with, uh, I mean, You've got a really talented guy, Jeremy Roach, coming in, but but Goldwater's got that experience. So you, you, I wouldn't be surprised to see those two starting in the backcourt at the beginning of the year, um, depending on where they want to slot Wendell Moore, because um, he's kind of that versatile guy. I mean, if you remember last year when Trey Jones went out, it was Wendell Moore who picked up the the spare point guard minutes when Goldwire wasn't out there. So he can kind of play the one, two, and the three, and then they've got really high hopes for DJ Stewart. He's just a Stewart, he's just a bucket getter, scoring guy. He can play both guard positions as well. They've got a lot of versatility back there in the backcourt. With DJ Stewart, I'm curious because I, I'm thinking about two years ago when there were three big time uh, uh, bucket getters, you know, and then Cam Reddish kind of uh, took that that third that third role and he wasn't really featured as much is there a situation where uh, dj stewart just kind of um by no fault of his own ends up not getting enough shine and he has to be a two three-year guy at duke i could see that i mean as i said i mean the, the coaches have really excited about him coming in they think he can he can really put up points in a hurry um as a as a two guard for the nba he is somewhat undersized I mean, he's coming in at six three uh, so there, there is some, you know, some question as to whether he'll be ready to make the jump if he's not featured at the point guard spot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it would be, <laughs> I think, you know, it, it's always a good feather in your cap to have guys leave after a year, go to the NBA, you could prove to the next recruiting class that you can get, you can get those players off to the NBA as quick as possible. But, um, con- for continuity stake sake, I think it would be great for Duke if, if Stewart was there for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's slide over to the big men. You know, last time uh, we spoke, Mark Williams and Patrick Tepe 
who are the kind of only real traditional centers on the roster were the focus. Mark Williams, actually the only player to get a boost from four star to five star uh, in the rankings update. He's number 25 in the composite. But I want to ask you about Jamin Brakefield and Henry Coleman power forwards at number 36 and 45 in the composite. You know, they're listed as six, eight power forwards. And then there's a gap really in height between them and Williams and Tape, do you just expect that Duke is going to be playing small at all times? Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. I mean, I, I don't, I don't really necessarily see Williams and Tape on the court at the same time. I think that would be a little bit too much, uh, too much height down low. Um, but you know, Breakfield and Coleman. Rayfield's kind of a mystery guy to a lot of Duke, Duke fans. He he they they offered him so late and he committed like almost immediately. So it, it's kind of a he's kind of an unknown coming into the year. Um, but Henry Coleman is a guy who's like real steady. Um, he's a he's a post player. You know he's 240 pounds. He's a he's a big he's a big guy. Um, he's gonna be able to bang down low on the college level right away. I think all things considered, the coaching staff and the and the strength and conditioning coaches at Duke would have loved to have Matthew Hurt uh, on campus during the summer to be able to add bulk, so that he could really you know fill in that 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 power forward role next to Mark Williams. Um, he's got good height. He's six nine, six ten, depending on depending on the day, which way the wind's blowing. So um, I think you're going to see kind of a rotation down there with Williams Hurt potentially even Jalen Johnson, Jamin Brakefield, and Henry Coleman. Got it. Okay. And uh, one, one last rotational question. Um, I, I almost didn't include Hurt in that conversation about those big guys because last year, you know, when I was talking with Jerry Meyer about it, he was like, you know, Hurt, Hurt, is, Hurt is weak. Hurt, Hurt doesn't have that intensity down low. And so, you know, Jer- Jerry basically considered Matthew Hurt to be almost a wing player exclusively, even yeah. if on, on occasion he was playing the four or, or being down there. But you know, what do you think is going to be Duke's best defensive lineup next year? And I imagine that'll start with Goldwire up top. Goldwire's, you know, the head of the snake up there. He's just, that's his strength. I mean, he's not going to put up a lot of points. He's not going to get a lot of, he's not going to nail down a lot of threes, although he did get better at that towards the end of the year last year, but he's just a defensive stopper. I mean, you put him on the best, the best player on the other side of the court in the backcourt. And um, and you're going to be a lot more effective on that end of the court. But, yeah, I mean, I, I could see, you know, Goldwire, Roach, Moore is such a versatile defender as well, alongside Jalen Johnson for that versatility. Um, and then Mark Williams down low as, as, a, as kind of a, a rim stopper. All right, well. Duke finished last year number five in Kempom, are right now eighth in Gary Parish's top 25 and one over at CBS Sports. Uh, what's your expectation for this upcoming season? Uh, I don't know. Are, you, are they going to be playing basketball is my biggest question. Well, let's I assume guess. they're playing basketball. Let's assume they're playing basketball. It's a really deep team. Um, you're, you're replacing, you are replacing some veteran experience and, and, you know, guys who've been around the program for a long time, Jack White, Justin Robinson, um, Javin Delorier, they, they just were there for a long time. Um, and that brings, you know, experience not only, you know, on the court, but also in the locker room. You're losing some continuity with Alex O'Connell transferring out and then Trey Jones and Vernon Carey off to the NBA. So you got seven newcomers coming in. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to just plug and play that many guys. As you say, Coach K has been really good at adapting, but 
it's still a difficult task to accomplish. Um, I think a lot just depends on Jeremy Roach's readiness at the college level. You know, he was hurt all his junior year with a uh, with an ACL injury and came back and and played well his senior year. But how how recovered is he and how ready is he to kind of take the reins offensively for for an elite college basketball program? That that's gonna that's gonna determine a lot as to how far they can go. Um, and you know the improvements that Wendell Moore and uh, Matthew Hurt make in the off season are gonna play a big role as well. Well, take it to the bank. Duke is going to be good again. Thank you so, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Adam Rowe writes, edits, is a co-jack of all trades over at Devil's Den. Uh, and up next, we got Texas Tech with Jarrett Johnson. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks a lot, man. All right, joining me now the publisher of Inside the Red Raiders, Jarrett Johnson. Jarrett, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, there, there are real reasons to be excited if you're a Red Raiders fan. They bring it in the number nine class in the nation, number one in the Big 12. And, and I'm going to rely on your expertise right here. When, when did they, have they ever had a better class than this? No. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, we know. You know, I, there's some talk like, some of the old timers will say, I think this is the same at every school, you know, when someone like in my position says, this is the best, the highest ranked class in the program's history. Somebody will say, whoa, way back in 65, they signed, you know, and okay. So maybe that's right. Maybe in 65, they, or whatever year, uh, Texas Tech signs, you know, a really good class. But even the old timers on this group, everyone across the board agrees, Tech has never had a better signing class than they do this year. And it's, you know, top 10 in the nation and number one in the big 12 after the uh, recent recruiting update. So it's uh, in the, the crazy thing is coach Beard, since he's been here, since he was hired in 2016 has produced the highest rated recruiting class one time after another for the last three seasons, last three cycles. Wow. So, so let's run through those top two guys, especially Namari Burnett, 6'3", combo guard, number 29 overall in the composite. And Micah Peavy, a 6'7", small forward, is number 40 overall. You know, what do you expect from these guys next year? A lot. I expect Burnett to start. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. This roster is going to be it's going to be loaded. They're going to bring back a lot of guys. They lose Jemias Ramsey, uh, who you know declared for the NBA draft. He didn't hire an agent, but the thought is he's going to go in the first round. And, you know, that's family changing money. Most people don't turn that down. So he's probably gone. But what's crazy is in almost every other year in the history of this program, uh, especially since Coach Beard or before Coach Beard was here, if you lose a guy of Ramsey's caliber, I mean, it's just devastating to your to your roster. And the truth is, I mean, honestly, they're going to have a hard time divvying up all the minutes between all the guys coming back, between uh, Kevin McCuller, who plays a similar position, uh, Terrence Shannon, Namari Burnett coming in now, the highest rated guy ever to sign with Texas Tech. I mean, you go on and on. I, Davide Moretti, who's been an all-Big 12 performer, and this will be his third year starting, is expected to come back from his senior year or for his senior year. Uh, so all these guards and wing-type players that they're adding, uh, you know, it's it's crazy that losing a guy, Jemias Ramsey, second team, all-Big 12, and Big 12 freshman of the year, isn't 
going to seem like it's really going to hurt them that much. <laughs> and Burnett is a guy who I really love his versatility, and this is something Coach Beard always looks for on the recruiting trail. He, he's, he's very, very good at everything. <laughs> he's a good facilitator. He can fill it up. Long-range shooter. He's good at scoring off the dribble. Um, I, he's a good defender, on-the-ball defender, which you're going to have to play defense if you're going to play for Chris Beard. Um, so I think he's a guy they everyone expects to step in and start and play a significant role. Now, he asked me about Micah Peavy. You know, he played with Jemias Ramsey in high school. They teamed up and led Duncanville to a state championship in the highest classification in Texas uh, two years ago. Last year, he had Peavy or Peavy had Duncanville again knocking on the state championship door before everything got called off. They were in the state semifinals, so he was looking to you know. I mean, they have a talented roster, but even without Jemias, he had them on the precipice of. of of defending that title in Texas, which is, I mean, if you look at all the talent coming out of Texas, that's very difficult to do. Um, and he plays for his father, David Peavy, who actually coached or was coached by Chris Beard uh, at Incarnate wow. Word. Yeah, way back in the day. I actually, they're like the same age, or David Peavy might actually be one year older than him, but Coach Beard was a grad assistant at Incarnate Word. And I mean, they go way back. They've sent when Coach Beard was an assistant coach under Coach Knight. Uh, he sent uh, Daryl Dora to, uh, you know, kind of gave Chris Beard the heads up on Daryl Dora and nobody was accruing him. And that guy, I mean, for example, he had two outstanding games against Kansas. Uh, two of Tech's very uh, few wins against Kansas came because he went off in, in some games. And he was a very good player and ended up being assistant coach for Chris Beard uh, recently. So uh, they have a long relationship. They're good friends. And it was, it was interesting. I, I caught up with uh, David Peavy, and he, he said that Coach Beard actually approached him and said, is it okay if I recruit your son? Because <laughs> he didn't want to mess up the relationship. And then uh, it, it, Coach Peavy appreciated that, but he also told Chris, you know, you, you can't just have my son. you got to earn it. <laughs> if he goes to Tech, it has to work out. And I, I certainly expect it will work out. He is perfect for the system. And I think that's a big reason why he chose Texas Tech over you know a slew of other offers is because he thinks that he can fit in the system. He has a great mid-range game. He's a great defensive player, um, very versatile. He can switch on the perimeter, which, you know, in Tech's defense is very key. Um, and also, he knows he's going to be developed in, in this program. That's uh, Jemias, if he gets drafted in the first round, will be the third straight uh, draft where a Texas Tech player was drafted in the first round, which, you know, is unprecedented. So I expect those two guys to play very prominent roles uh, on the team next year. So let's uh, let's ask the obvious question with with the this amazing recruiting class, a ton of talent coming back. Not to mention Marcus Santos Silva yeah. coming in via the transfer portal. This is a team that finished last year twenty first in Ken Palm and has Chris Beard at the helm. Like that can't be uh, understated. You know, Gary Parish has them fourteenth in the top twenty five and one, the fourth Big Twelve school. But you know, what's the upside? What are your expectations? Because you know. Chris Beard makes a lot out of teams without anywhere near this pedigree. With this pedigree, you know, what's their ceiling? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, this is a case where I almost wish that I was in more of a general role to answer this question, like covering a lot of pro uh, programs. Because I think a lot of people out there, they hear this, they say he covers Texas Tech, it's close to the situation, he's a homer. But I will tell you that I have worked in newspapers. I have covered a lot of programs and a lot of sports at every level. Been fortunate to do that. And I have never covered anyone like Chris Beard. I don't know how he does it in terms of the recruiting. I mean, you see the results he's getting at Texas Tech, both on the recruiting trail, had them within seconds of winning a national title. You know, Texas Tech, it's unprecedented. Um, so to answer your question, 
I expect them to compete for the Big 12, if not win it again, and to make another run at the Final Four. Now, winning a national title, I mean, so many things have to happen. But I definitely expect this team to have a very good chance of making a, a, another trip to the Final Four because of all the talent. I mean, the breadth of talent. And yes, Coach Beard has shown that when it comes to X's and O's, uh, there's really not – I mean, he's right up there in the upper echelon right now. So, I mean, one guy we didn't even mention in the recruiting class is Chibuzo Agbo. He's 6'7", 225. He's a, he's a first-team All-State player in, in California. He's a guy, a knockdown shooter, but also known uh, as a tough guy. He squats over 425 pounds. Uh, he's a, you know, yeah, he's a double walking double two years in a row on a team. He's not on one of those like glorified AAU teams playing high school ball. He's on a legitimate high school team where he was a guy. Everyone was, was geared towards stopping him every night. And he still put up 23 and I think 10, two years in a row. And he shot 42% from three. But like I said, he can score 425. He's already going to be a grown man coming into, which he'll need to be to play in the Big 12 night in and night out, but uh, coming in as a freshman. So I, he's a guy who, this sounds crazy when I tell people this, but he might have the best overall career when it's all said and done. Because I think Burnett, he's geared towards a one and done or two years. Peavy's probably two or three years. I think Agbo might actually be here in Lubbock for four years and produce and win a lot of games. Well, uh, you know, as long as uh, Chris Beard has been in Lubbock, Texas, things have been looking good for the Red Raiders. This year should be no different. Thank you so much, Jared, for coming on the show. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me. So we've hit SEC, ACC, Big 12. Next up, Big 10. I've got Jeremy Werner from Line Eye Inquirer on the line, ready to roll. We're going to talk Line Eye basketball and the possibility that maybe they'll have the best backcourt since that undefeated team. D. Brown, Darren Williams, and Luther Head. Check out my conversation with Jeremy right now. Okay, bringing in Jeremy Werner, publisher of Line Eye Inquirer, and we need to talk about Illinois. Um, I watched this team a number of times because I'm a Maryland grad, a uh, big fan of the Terps, but Illinois was a very interesting team last year, finished 30th in Kempom, just was a really tough team. And now, Jeremy, the 13th class of the nation, number two in the Big Ten, Illinois' best class since 2013 when they were also 13. I mean, how excited should people be in Champaign? They're really excited. Uh, they're a little bit bummed because this was their best year in, in more than seven years, and they didn't get a chance to see an NCAA tournament yet with Io DeSumo, Kofi Coburn. Uh, this is a team that finished fourth last year in the Big Ten, a team that was contending for a Big Ten title, surprisingly, at the end of last year. And after you know two years that were really tough under Brad Underwood where his system wasn't working, he scrapped basically everything, changed his offense, changed his defense to fit his personnel, and Io DeSumo took a leap into one of the best players in the Big Ten. Kofi Coburn was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, and it's unlike any freshman we've seen at Illinois, just his size, his physicality, and just made them more a Big Ten team. When you got a star guard like that, you have a star post player like that, Illinois had been so wing-heavy in the past that to have those two pieces uh, was a huge, significant step uh, breakthrough, but it also showed that Brad Underwood ex his nose wise that the adjustments he made uh, can be one of the better coaches in the Big Ten. And now they continue to recruit, as you said, one of the top classes in the Big Ten. Illinois, like your Maryland Terps, are 
is a basketball school. It's like Indiana. It's a basketball school. So the fans really thrive off basketball and Illinois basketball feels back. And even if a lot is up in the air this off season, uh, Illinois fans think the foreseeable future looks really positive. And I, and I agree with that. I think Illinois basketball is going to be a major player in the big 10 moving forward. So Highlighting this class, we got Adam Miller, 6'3", shooting guard, number 31 overall in the 24-7 sports composite. And Andre Curbelo, just behind him, a six-foot point guard, number 40 in the composite. Uh, this is going to be a really good backcourt whether or not Io comes back, right? Yeah, I mean, those two are the one of the best tandems of guards that are coming into one class in the country. I mean, they're, they're up there with North Carolina, Duke, you know, Tennessee, some other programs that have two top 60 guards coming in. And, and for Illinois, it was a program under John Gross that couldn't find a lead guard. And now it seems like they have so many of them. Uh, whether or not Iowa DeSumo comes back, and a lot of people think he'll stay in the NBA draft, uh, Illinois should be good at the guard position when you have Trent Frazier, a veteran here. Uh, they got a couple sit-out transfers and Jacob Grandison and Austin Hutcherson coming in. But Adam Miller looks more college-ready than DeSumo actually was coming in. He's a great sharpshooter. He's really athletic. And Brad Underwood has really uh, praised him about his defense. And while on his high school team, he's kind of been inefficient. AAU, uh, he was kind of inefficient at times. He went and played with USA Basketball and played a nice role for that team. Wasn't the star, but played good defensively, played good as a shooter. Uh, and then Andre Curbelo uh, has a lot of similarities, people think, to Cassius Winston in that you know he might not be size-wise the top NBA prospect, which keeps his ranking down a little bit. But when you talk about guys who play beyond their years, Andre Curbelo just has a basketball IQ, a feel, makes everybody better, makes some flashy plays as well but a lot of people think this could be a four-year point guard who ends up being the, the face of Illinois basketball during his tenure so those guys will make an immediate impact right away and for the foreseeable future they really fit each other well because Curbelo is kind of that typical prototypical what you want in a point guard a leader while Adam Miller is just kind of this dynamic score sharpshooter okay so Really hypothetical question here, but I had to ask it. If Io comes back, how did that backcourt compare to the trio of 2004-2005, Luther Head, Darren Williams, and D. Brown? The difference is all those guys were upperclassmen, right? Um, I would assume it would just be a junior, but he would be one of the – if he comes back for a junior season, and assuming Kofi Coburn comes back as well – Illinois could be a Final Four contender. Uh, I know Iowa's getting a lot of deserved buzz as the Big Ten favorite, but if I would assume when Kofi Coburn came back, along with Georgie Bashanishvili, along with Trent Frazier, I think this, because it's a more well-rounded team defensively, they're better in Iowa, I think Illinois could be the Big Ten title favorite coming in. But yes, I mean, you add the depth of having a Trent Frazier, who's already a top 50 scorer all-time at Illinois. You add Andre Curbelo, who uh, should be a starting point guard right away for Illinois, and then Adam Miller, um, who could be even better than Io DeSumo or up there with Io DeSumo by the time his career is done. Yeah, that's one of the deepest backcourts in the Big Ten, and it, it certainly would be a good problem to have to figure out who's going to have the ball, when they're going to have the ball, um, but it would certainly be one of the most dynamic backcourts in the Big Ten. All right, there you go. Reason to be excited for Illinois fans. Jeremy Werner, publisher, Line Eye Inquirer. Thanks so much for coming on the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Appreciate it. All right, that'll take us home for a jam-packed episode, a busy episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I really hope you enjoyed it. Six interviews was a lot to do in three days, but I did it for you, and I did it for me. Okay, fine. I did a little for me also. I was interested in these things. I hope you are too. Really interesting stuff. want to thank Jeremy, 
Jarrett, Adam, Danny, Chris, and Grant. Wow, that was a mouthful. So many guys to thank. Really appreciate them coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be getting updates from our team site guys throughout the offseason and into the basketball season when really hope it starts on time or at least close enough to on time. We'll be keeping you in the loop as well as bringing on a number of our experts from our national college basketball team. A lot more in store for you. Really hope you enjoyed the past few weeks. The numbers have been awesome and I really appreciate it. I even saw a few of you went and gave five stars on Apple Podcasts. That means the world to me. I know it means the world to my mother. She's very proud. So if you don't mind, if you haven't already, Give us those five stars, especially a written rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't subscribed, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your stuff. Really hope you're enjoying the content. We enjoy having you here. And if you're coming from the embeds, do yourself a favor and subscribe on the Apple Podcasts because it, it comes to you faster. And that way you can have it before I even have the time to embed in the article. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. For all those guys who came on and for you who took the time to listen, really appreciate it. We'll see you next week for the next episode.